Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. Well, take your Bibles and go with me to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, we're going to finish this series this morning. Uh, Titus chapter 3, we're really going to look at two verses uh, if you think, well, there are more verses there in the book of Titus in chapter 3. We've covered Titus chapter 3 before, so if you want to, to uh, look at those, you can go to our website or go to our podcast. Wherever you download a podcast, you can catch those. And actually, I feel like uh, Burt Reynolds and uh, Smokey and the Bandit this morning. I've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I've got seven points to give you, so you're going to have to hang in there and get there with me. So we're going we're gonna to get there. It's interesting, in um, December 31st, 2010, there was a packed house. It was a sold-out arena in Lexington at Rupp Arena. It, uh, was, uh, it was an anticipated event that everybody was looking for, longing for, if you were anybody in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. It wasn't the first time the Kentucky Wildcats met the UofL Cardinals, but it was the first time in the era of John Calipari. And so we were anticipating, or depends on what side of the ball you were on, but uh, we were anticipating uh, a good ball game. And so uh, we were looking forward to it for Kentucky fans. And so there's a, the, the commentators told us that it was a sold-out crowd. And rumor has it there was, a, there was a guy sitting in the uh, low arena section and about the first TV time out, he noticed there was a lady sitting not too far from him, a couple rows in front of him, uh, sitting by herself with an empty seat next to him. He got her attention and says, ma'am, I'm just shocked. I would have expected every seat in this arena to be filled for a game like this. And she said, oh, this is my husband's seat. We've had season tickets for 28 years. Well, where is he? Well, he passed away. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I figured one of your kids or a grandchild would have come with you. She said, oh, no, they're all at his funeral. <laughs> this morning, I want to talk about priorities. And let me just say this up front. Um, I wouldn't think it, it's a priority to go to the UofL UK foot, uh, basketball game or football game on the on the date of your husband or your wife's funeral. I would just say it's bad planning if you choose that that was the day of the funeral or the service. You just pick that out. But when we talk about priorities, there are things in our life that we all prioritize, right? I mean, we, we have priorities. We, we know what those things are. Um, and priorities are different than goals. Uh, goals are things that you want to achieve in life. For example, some people set out to, to, to have a goal of being their own boss, owning their own company, being a mother of four children. Uh, those are all goals. And, and sometimes we put those goals and we say, we want to achieve those goals by the time we reach a certain age. Again, those are goals. But priorities are different. Priorities are things that you determine uh, what matters most in your life. Uh, priorities are things that help you de- decide what are those things that, that, that matter are the most. 
And, and there are th three things that I've, I've listed here that, are, that help you determine those things. They, they determine where you spend your time. You know, priorities help you, you, help you decide, is this where I want to spend my time doing this or not? Priorities help you structure your day. This matters. This doesn't matter. I'm going to give this my attention. That I don't care about. That I, I don't really care about house cleaning, so it's not a priority. I don't care how high the yard gets or how tall the grass gets. It's not a priority. I like weeds, and so I'm not going to do landscape. You see what I'm getting at, priorities. Uh, some people have no priority over car and what it looks like, you know, whether it's clean inside or outside, those types of things, priorities. Um, priorities allow you to say yes or no when people ask you something. Hey, would you help us with this? When you have priorities in your life, it lets you to decide, is this a priority I want to, to be involved in or not be involved in? Priorities help us. And like I said, we all have priorities in our life. And some of you know what your priorities are without me asking. You can determine quickly what your priorities are. Um, I'll give you an example. If you're a grandparent, raise your hand. Okay, let me just, let me just say this. If your grandchildren call and you drop everything for them, raise your hand. That's a priority. You got it? Makes sense, right? Now, don't raise your hand on this, but if your children call and you go, well, let me think about it, that you know where they fall on the priority list, right? We all have priorities. Um, we, you know, a priority can be as selfish as a TV show. It can be as important as grandchildren. We decide. This morning as we look at our text, Paul has told Titus when he, in these three chapters, he's kind of gone through this of, hey, we, we need godly leaders. And, and I won't recap the whole, whole book because there's a lot in this. But he comes to this last chapter and he says, basically, we need people to live out loud what we've what we've been trying to teach in the gospel. We need people who are godly leaders in the church, but also we need them to go live out loud in the community what we've been trying to teach. And if you remember week one and two, I, I gave us some background on the community. And the community was lost and dying and going to hell just like we've got today. And so, in the first couple verses of chapter 3, we find Paul giving some priorities. And I think they're the same priorities for you and I today when we think about grace priorities for our life. So if you have your Bibles and you're at chapter 3, would you stand as we honor the reading of God's Word? Let's look at two verses, 1 and 2. Remember... Or remind them to submit to the rulers and the authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, 
to avoid fighting and to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. You may be seated. Real simple. Real simple. Those, those two verses give us seven priorities. And here's the big idea this morning I want you to catch. It's real simple. Uh, healthy churches have members who reveal God's grace to the community. Healthy churches have godly people who reveal God's grace to the community. In other words, when we leave this place, when we go outside these walls, do you realize we are on mission? That we leave this place, we are in our Jerusalem. When Jesus told them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. When we walk out these doors, we've got a mission field in front of us. In order for us to be effective in that mission field, grace has to be our priority in the way we do it. So let me give you seven words to circle there so you can keep up with me this morning and to do it. So you're going to find these words. Submit, obey, uh, work. And then in verse 2, you've got slander, fighting, kind, and gentleness. Seven words. We'll unpack those seven words. All right? So now we're eastbound and down, and here we go. First one I want you to catch is submitting to governing authorities. We have to, if grace is going to be our priority, we have to submit to governing authorities. When you think about submitting to governing authorities, we have to understand that there is this government that we recognize and we acknowledge. That we know that there, that there is a government authority that we recognize and we understand. We submit to them. In fact, Paul does not tell us which government to, to submit to. He doesn't say, well, you only have to submit to one. He doesn't do that. He, he recognizes that there are all sorts of governments and he leaves that blank because they're all important. In fact, Jesus uh, gets questioned about that and he never says, don't submit. He, he argues you give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And today we have people who want to argue not to submit to governing authority. They're called um, sovereign citizens. In fact, here in Barron County, we have people who are sovereign citizens. Sovereign citizens are people who, who come to this place who believe that there is no judge, no ruler, no governing authority but themselves. And they base that theology on Scripture. Now, it's poor theology. It's bad theology. It is downright wrong. There is nothing biblical about their principle, but they believe that they are the right authority. And we've had them here in our community. But remember, Jesus said, give to Caesar. Paul says in Romans 13, why we should give authority or recognize authority to governors, to leaders. So, there is a biblical principle and understanding that there is a submission to government. And so Paul is telling Titus, hey, listen, 
there is this rebellious community here in Crete. We have to show them the gospel by acknowledging there is this governing group. So submit to them. Now, the second word I, I gave you, or we see there that Paul says, is to obey. Obey governing authorities. Now, there's a difference between submitting and obeying. Yes? Uh, this means yes. This means no. Let me help you with the difference. Submitting means you yield power to authority. Okay? Submitting means you acknowledge that there is, there's, a, there's authority. For example, if you ever get a performance award while driving... For those of you who know what that is, it means that you're going a little too fast. And it's a performance award that says, hey, good job, but slow down. You know, they come with, a, with this piece of paper that says, you owe the government however much money because you were going a little too fast. That's submitting because you, you, you acknowledge that you were going too fast. That's submitting to the government, right? Getting a ticket. You acknowledge that. Now, obeying, though comes to a place where obedience does not guarantee a person's willingness to comply. Catch that. Obedience does not guarantee a person's willingness to comply. Submitting as you acknowledge, obedience doesn't guarantee the willingness to apply. I love the story Laura Bush tells when George W. Bush was president of the United States. Laura Bush tells the story that they were at the home of former President Barbara and George Bush, senior, well, not senior, but H. Bush. And they were at their house, and they were, it was one early morning, she said George W. had gotten up for six o'clock like he normally did, went down for breakfast, had gotten coffee, and went into the living room where his mom and dad was, sat down and read the paper. As he sat down, he put his feet up on the coffee table and Barbara Bush screamed and yelled at him, get your feet off my table. To which his dad looked at his mom and says, well, Barbara, he's the president of the United States. To which she says, I don't care who he is. He's not putting his feet on my coffee table. Laura Bush says, even the president has to obey his mama. I love that story. Because there was a moment for him to go, well, I'm not. I'm going to leave my feet on the table. But he chooses to obey his mama. And that's always a good thing. Amen? Yeah, well, it's always good to obey your mamas. There is this truth of obeying. And Paul is talking about obeying government authorities. Now, let me give you two examples where obeying government authorities, authorities is, not, is not right. First one comes from Acts 4. Acts 4 tells us when Paul and John were, were there preaching the gospel, they healed, a, they healed a man, and all of a sudden, this man was healed and was excited, and all the people there watching and, and proclaiming, they, they recognized what had gone on. There was a commotion going on, and all of a sudden, these elders and these teachers of the law, they began to realize Something's happening, and these people who are teaching that Jesus Christ this is one who's risen from the dead, this disturbance is happening. And so they arrest Peter and John, and they bring them in. 
Acts chapter 4 tells us what happens, and you see this on the screen here. I put it in the New Living Translation. It says, so they called the apostles back in, and they commanded them, never again speak the teachings in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Here's the thing. Caiaphas and the high priest Ananias was there. They wanted Peter and John to stop proclaiming the gospel. You can't stop proclaiming the gospel. Because Jesus has told us to go and proclaim the gospel. There's no way we can stop doing that. The second example I'll give you happened a year ago. A year ago, we were faced with a pandemic. And we were, we were like everyone else, churches all across America were trying to figure out how do we continue to worship in a safe and healthy environment. And governors all across America were trying to help and churches were trying to figure out what to do. And a few governors, including ours, came out and said, hey, we need churches to stop singing. Even a few said, we need you to stop gathering. And at that moment, governors crossed a line that you can't do. Because you come to a place where you say, we don't want you to gather and worship any longer. And just like Peter and John, we can't do that. We got to, we've got to worship. Singing is a part of that. And I'm grateful for our governor because he made that announcement one afternoon and then by the next afternoon he came back and retracted that statement. Because he'd recognized he'd crossed the line in religious freedom. We can do a lot and we can submit to authority and we will obey and do a lot but we can't stop talking about and singing about a God who loves us. A God who's greater than a pandemic. A God who is the only true salvation. And Paul reminds Titus you're to obey, you're to submit. Third thing is you're to serve one another. Serve one another. And last week I, I told you how wonderful it is that so many of you in this body serve. And how many of you are actively involved in different ministries and teams in our church who, who serve in the body of Christ here. In fact, it was a big deal for the church here in Titus because if you remember in verse 1, chapter 16, uh, verse 16, uh, Paul says, they claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. So what was happening was there were people at the church who were going, oh, we love God. We know who God is. He saved us. We believe in him. 
but they wouldn't lift a finger to serve. It was gimme, gimme, gimme. It wasn't let me give back because of what God has given. And as grateful as I am for many who serve in the church, there are still many who, who need to find a place of service. And we have places for you to serve. Uh, you see in your worship bulletin today, I think there are a list of things you could serve today. We're looking for people to serve in our tech ministry, card ministry, to go with us on our gospel to every home ministry, prayer ministry. I mean, not all of it is is ministries that are, are going and doing. Some of it you can do from your home. The question is, will you serve? Or are you just a gimme, gimme, gimme? What can I get out of it? We have to be about finding our place of service to serve one another. To serve one another, or, or else we're just like the, this church at Crete. Fourth one. Fourth one we find is the word slander here in the text. We circled the word slander. We, we know the word slander is to put down. We know what it means. We know, we know it looks what it looks like to talk ugly about. So, so we know what Paul is trying to tell Titus. The church needs to speak kind words. And in our day and culture, we, we have a lot of ways we can slander people, don't we? We don't have to say them. We can type them out in our social media accounts. We don't even have to say it. We could just forward another somebody else's social media post and we'll just tag on to it. We have lots of ways we can do that in our culture. Sometimes I think, I wonder what God thinks of, of our social media. Because for some of us, we, we keep just reposting fake news or things that are not uplifting. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.29, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And I think if he was rewriting that today, he would say, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, on your text, on your, on your social media account, on anything you do. All, let it all be uplifting and kind. I love the words when somebody goes, well, preacher, it's just true. Yeah, but mama always said, if it ain't good, don't say it, right? If you don't have anything good to say, just, just keep your mouth shut. I mean, think about it. If you were trying to witness to somebody and you wanted to share the gospel, after you've just put somebody down, do you really think they would listen? Or do you think they'd walk away going, well, I wonder what they think about me when I'm not around or say about me when I'm not around? If you have to think about that, let me just answer the question for you. They'll say number two. And 
And see, Crete was known, if you remember from our first couple of weeks, a Cretan was known as a liar, someone who couldn't tell the truth. Zeus was someone who was their God, who was always not telling the truth, someone who, who was always manipulating. You remember, Paul tells us, God is a, a God that does not lie. He speaks the truth. God is a God of love. Those are the kinds of words that needs to come from us. Compassion, grace-filled. Number five, I know I've got to get to these. Peaceful. Look with me at the text. He tells us that avoid fighting. Avoid fighting. We live in a culture, and it was the same culture there, but our culture is in, in America today is getting, getting more agitated. I think as the coronavirus, as things continue to, to escalate between political parties, between um, the virus, between just all sorts of things, we find people on the edge more and more. And what we find is less peace and more violence. We find more road rage. We need people who, who are peaceful. Who, who stop and, and figure a way to count to ten or, or remember that by grace you've been saved. And so at the end of the day, whatever, set, whatever it is that's, that frustrates you, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. Because the senselessness of the situation. Number six, I want to get to these last two real quick, and they're similar. Be kind and reasonable. Be, be kind and reasonable. When you get to the, to the word kindness there, kindness. I think it's always interesting these days when I hear somebody who is shocked because somebody is kind. Why does that shock us these days? I, I think it's shocking when we hear a teenager who's kind to an adult because we, we don't think that's a value anymore. We, we think we've lost that value when, when the truth of the matter is the reason we've lost that value is because we've not taught that value. And why have we not taught that value is because the church has lost that value itself. Because even inside the walls of the church, sometimes we've, we've missed the word kindness. We want our way. The music has to be our way. The teaching has to be our way. The, the building has to be our way. That's not always the case, but kindness and reasonable. And then the last thing we find in the, in the Christian Standard Version, it says, showing gentleness to all people. 
Other translation says, showing humility to all people. Either word there, it's this idea of humility. It's this idea of humility, this, this idea of humbleness, of walking before people, realizing that, that we're, we don't have all the answers, that we're not always right, but we just want what's best. These seven values, I think, are, these priorities, I think, are, are important for us today because Paul tells Titus, if you would make this grace priority a part of your life, then he jumps down at verse 8 and he says these words. The saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. Now let's think about that for just a second. Paul says, this is what I want you to do. These are, these are the things I want you to insist on. These are good and profitable. What does it mean to be profitable as a believer? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, we know what it is to be profitable as a business person. It means you make money, you're successful. But as a believer, what is profit? What is success as a believer? It's real simple. Success as a believer is you share the gospel and others come along and know who Jesus is. So how do you do that? You live these seven principles out. You make grace your priority. You begin submitting to authority. You begin obeying authority. You begin serving others. You begin being kind. You begin doing these things. And see how things change. You begin watching your language. You begin loving people. You begin making grace the dominant factor in your life. And see what happens. For it's by grace you've been saved. Through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God lest any man should boast. There's a story. Einstein was asked by a student. The student wanted to know how many steps are in a mile. Einstein's a smart man. He was shocked. Einstein said, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? student pressed Einstein because this was not, this was not a, this is a trivial, trivial Answer because every student needed would have known this because this was a, a an early educational learning that every student would know how many steps are in a mile. So he asked him again. Einstein says, "I don't know. Don't care." I added, "I don't care." The story didn't say that, but I think Einstein would have probably said, "I don't care." Finally, Einstein said, "Listen, I do not clutter my mind 
with such trivial things. And I think that's an impressive thing. For you see, Einstein was, was known for his intellect and his passion for deep things, for his mathematical mind and his physical truth, for his deep understanding. He didn't clutter with trivial things. I think, how many times do we get caught up in trivial things and we get in trouble because we're so consumed with trivial things? I mean, think about it. How many times do we see people get upset over trivial things? Listen, in my world, I've watched fights in churches over trivial things. I, I, I've watched grown men get in fist fights at, in a church softball league over trivial things. I've known church splits over trivial things. Why? Because we so consume ourselves over trivial things. What would it look like if we devoted ourselves to deeper things like living out the grace of God? Deeper things like showing the love of God. Deeper things like loving people like Christ loved us. Deeper things like loving those who the world doesn't love. Imagine what a difference we could make in this community if we give up on the trivial and love like Christ's love. You stand with me this morning. This morning, if you're here and you've never met Christ, we'd love to, we'd love to tell you how you can come to know Christ, how he died on a cross for your sins, how he loves you. But chances are this morning, you, many of you know who Christ is as your personal Lord and Savior, but maybe you're here and you're caught up in trivial things. And so today, maybe is the day that you just need to repent of the trivial life that you've been living and turn from that and commit your life to being grace prioritized. Whatever the case may be, would you respond to the gospel today? I'm here, Mike and JJ are in the hall. We'd love to talk to you. Whatever the case may be, would you just respond? Father,